This program is sponsored by Wicked Chronic in Natick, Massachusetts. Located on 185 Worcester Street, right on Route 9, they can be reached at 508-545-8105 or at wickedchronicvendorcommerce.com. Wicked Chronic is a boutique-style retail shop that focuses on selling counterculture products such as Wiccan cannabis cultures coming together in a unique setting. You need something for that special spell? Go on down to Wicked Chronic in Natick, Massachusetts and speak to Beverly. Tell them Dr. Chris sent you. Check them out today. TV podcast, a podcast dedicated to all the canceled television shows in the science fiction, fantasy, and horror genre. I am your host, Dr. Chris. And I'm Mr. Zeneca. And tonight, we continue our coverage of Friday the 13th, the TV series, with episodes 3 and 4 of the series that's not the movies, but based on a antique store in some part of the United States. Where, we don't know where. Yeah, where bad shit happens, just to say. Uh, <laughs> first up, we have and Now the News, uh, which is... Now the News. The episode was originally aired on October 10th, 1988, and uh, it's about a psychologist secretly accounts for her miraculous success rate due to a unique antique radio that delivers cures and advice during the nightly news. And the episode uh-huh. was uh, written by Dick Benner and directed by Bruce Pittman. It is about a clock, sorry, a clock, and a radio. And now the news, don't touch that dial, is something, of course, uh, old school uh, news anchormen would uh, would say. Oh, yeah. And this is a radio that you can definitely tell is cursed right from the get-go because it works without being plugged into the wall. Have a nice day, and please pose cover before striking, friends. Where'd you learn to talk like that? TV! We talk TV! You talk some TV? I talk some TV. And now the news. Don't touch that dial. And yes, that was Eric Idle of Monty Python fame as Rekgar, the uh, leader of the Junkions on Transformers the Movie from 1986. You're quoting Transformers? (laughs) Oh my god, man. Honestly, I don't know how that franchise can get the good actors, really. Still going on today. I mean, God, they got the, I know. They got the Bumblebee movie coming out later this year. It's all crap. Okay. So the uh the as I said, the episode is directed by um uh Dick Benner, Richard Benner on uh IMDb. Uh hasn't done anything since the 1990s or sorry, 1990. 
Um, and that's probably because he died in 1990. So, <laughs> well, that would explain it. That would explain it. Uh, unless, he, unless he was a guest star in our second episode that we're actually doing today, where they bring the dead back to life. He directed um, two. Sorry, he wrote two episodes of Tales from the Dark Side and only directed one episode of uh, wrote one episode of Friday the Thirteenth. He only has like five writer credits and five director credits to his name, and he was the scripts revisions guy on uh, the Dan Aykroyd, Kim Basinger, early Allison Hannigan, and very early Seth Green movie, My Stepmother is an Alien. Oh, really? Yeah, he was the script revisions guy on that movie. Wow. <laughs> what a job. <laughs> and then it was... Uh, uh, sorry, sorry, he wrote the episode, and then the episode was directed by... Uh, Bruce Pittman. Um, do you have any information on our special guest star who plays the doctor as well as our psycho multi-serial killer rapist? <laughs> Jesus. Oh, you mean our, our uh, featured... Um, bad guy. Cursed people? Ba- yeah, our, the, our the, bad guys this this evening. The director, uh, by the way, of this episode, Bruce Pittman, has quite the face IMDb under his name. Um, as far as I'm aware, still alive today. But he's best known for directing uh, Prom Night 2, uh, Hello, Maggie Sue, Pe- Peggy Sue, Prom Night 2. Oh, really? Wow. This, this is where, like, the Prom Night series was, like, basically independent from every other film. Uh, sorry, Hello, Mary Lou, Prom Night 2. And, it, like, it's got that famous uh, poster of the of the prom queen inside the locker that looks like a coffin. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, that's one of those pictures that you see on the shelf in the video store, you know, back when video stores were a thing. And you see it, and you're like, you know, should I rent that? And then you just pass it by every time. Yeah. Because you think it'll be just cheesy. Um, he also directed Saturday Night at the Movies, um, Confidential, uh, really kind of made-for-TV schlock. Uh, and he did two episodes of Friday the 13th, the series, all, and now the news and the Mephisto Ring, which is probably an episode from next season. He also directed several episodes of Tech Wars, Sue Thomas, FBI, which was a series in 2004, I remember. Our special guest... Uh, Dr. Carter, Dr. Averill Carter. Her real name is actually Kate Trotter, and uh, she has a pretty nice bio here. I think she's doing Heartland, or did Heartland. I'm not sure if that's, that show is still going or movie. Let's see here. Rogue TV series, Covert Affairs, True Love, Lost Girl TV series, The Little Mosque on the Prairie TV series, Republic of Doyle, not replaced, a lot that I recognize. The actor who plays Craig in it, Alex Carzes, if I'm pronouncing the name last, uh, still working today, uh, does uh, basically uh, bit part characters on shows like Air Emergency, Eyewitnesses. He was on Orphan Black for three episodes. Let's see that he was in an episode of The Dresden Files. Uh, he was on Relic Hunter, which again, a lot of people seem to be on Relic Hunter. Uh, the famous Jet Jackson, who I actually had an actor from that show on. Uh, the Crow, Stairway to Heaven, which is a show that I would love us to cover one day. It only ran for one season. Basically, it took the Eric Draven story and expanded it into several episodes. And then he would return in 1989 for Friday the 13th, the series, playing the prisoner, uh, playing Woody Reese. Oh, you know what's uh, one thing else that uh, Kate Trotter, Trotter did? What? She was in the Quilt of Hathor episodes as Effie Stokes, our bad guy there. Oh, that's why I recognized her. Okay, but yeah. she, was, she was a little bit more prim and proper in that, whereas this she's a little bit more, um, you know, normal businesswoman-like in the, of the 80s. Yeah, I didn't actually recognize her because she wore glasses and had absolutely no makeup uh, that uh, to speak of, really. Now, which one and, of these uh, characters? Different. Which one of these characters was the Hulk maniac? 
I'm sorry, which one? Okay, which one of the characters in the Insane Asylum was the Hulk maniac? That's the incurable guy. Oh, okay. Uh, well, he's best known for playing... Um, he was on, again, Mutant X. Uh, a lot of Mutant X crossover. And he played uh, Henry, uh, Dr. Henry McCoy, a.k.a. The Beast, on the X-Men animated series. Oh, wow, okay, so he does more than just be a screaming psychopath at the door. No, he was actually, he actually, nice. if you if you ever hear his voiceover, and he's done voiceover for several things, he actually has a very intelligent way of speaking, because uh, you need to in order to play uh, Henry McCoy, uh, who's a, uh, rena- you know, uh, world-renowned, um, you know, uh, doctor in, in uh, many degrees in the X-Men universes. Wow. So we always yeah. have to talk with that very kind of poetic thing. It was funny is that he would uh, he would play um, a trucker in the X Men live action movie. He's the guy who tries to pick a who tries to pull a um, uh, a shotgun on Wolverine. Oh. Yeah. Okay, I, I remember him now. Yeah. yeah. So he's in that, and he's also in Diary of the Dead. He's a tattooed biker in that movie. But, uh, yeah, I remember him in that one scene where Wolverine get to see Wolverine extend his claws for the first time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in this episode, you really don't see him very well. He's just kind of a screaming maniac behind glass and then, uh, I guess, a murderer later on. Whoa. I'll wait for the motorcycles to pass. Yeah. Uh, also, he was on Maniac Mansion. Do you remember that show? It was a it was Maniac a, Mansion. No, it was a Family Time show that ran for like three seasons. It was a weird freaking show. Uh, ran for sixty-five episodes. It was a really weird show. Uh, one of the characters uh, basically tried to uh, do an experiment, kind of like uh, Jeff Goldblum in The Fly, and ended up becoming like a human fly himself. Mm. <laughs> You'd think that after all this time of you know the fly type of uh, technology mishaps, they almost always lead to some sort of bad guy application later. Uh-huh. Uh, strict controls on your scientific experiments, definitely necessary. Also, again, uh, George, who plays our Hulk character, uh, before we move on, uh, was on Babar. <laughs> again, another person on Babar. Another who pers- hasn't worked on Babar. It's like unbelievable. Everyone's worked on Babar, including uh, one of the three stars, Chris Wiggins. <laughs> Yeah. All right. right, so let's go on with the episode. (laughs) Okay, all right, all right. Uh, Enough sidetrack here. Okay, uh, we open with basically a screaming woman and a doctor showing her a snake. Kind of a a jarring opening, really. Uh, we, We find out in the first five minutes, a lot of exposition here, is that this is a place for the criminally insane that there's a doctor that believes he can break through to people by using their worst fears, and another doctor who is using a radio for nefarious purposes. You get all this, and you get the idea that that one of the patients is this really creepy, lecherous guy, all in the first five minutes. You don't really know what's going on, but you get this idea that the story is just kind of barreling towards you. Hmm. Interesting. And fun fact, the fear of snakes is actually called ophidiophobia, or heptophobia, uh, if you have a generalized fear of snakes. But her reaction to that little tiny, tiny green snake 
was so intense. Like that fear is so intense. And they play on that fear later on in the episode. We get the uh, sense right away that there's something wrong with this radio as we see the cord has been cut. Um, or yep. it's just like it's been frayed off completely. Um, I also need to point out that when we finally switch over to our cast of characters, uh, Ryan's hair looks uh, couldn't look more 80s uh, if it tried, but still was very cool. <laughs> It, it it was it was very cool and might I say, he in this episode is displaying a level of sculptural ability that's actually pretty good, uh, pretty pretty cool. Like I don't think I could do it quite like that uh, bust of of um, Mickey that he's actually sculpting that day. Yeah, that becomes a big focus point um, for. Wait, the bust of Mickey? He dev- I thought he makes the bust of Mickey in the next episode. Oh, sorry, yes. I am mixing up my episodes. Okay, yeah. He does not make the bust of Mickey in now. No. He makes it in the no. episode she dies in the, in the next one. I mean, I have to say, like, I watch both of these back-to-back, and the route that Mickey takes throughout both of these, she's being put in peril, she's nearly raped, you know, she's dead. Like, she goes through a lot, so it almost seems like it's one large episode simply because... Her story and her involvement in it is so intense. Yeah, let's get right to that. Uh, that uh, let's let's get that right out yeah, of the way spoiler. at the very beginning. The uh, uh, attempted rape of Mickey in this episode is unbelievable, and it's, it's not brutal. like he's just trying to kill her because he starts ripping her clothes, and you'd only do that if you're going to rape somebody. You're not going to yeah. stab them just to. Uh, you're not going to rip their clothes to stab them and kill them or strangle them or whatever he was going to do. There is a mattress there, and he is ripping yeah. her clothes. He is serious. Yeah, no, it's uh, he is tearing at her clothes, strangling her, and and basically telling her the you know, very various things of pacification. And she's fighting him tooth and nail. And she is not the one that gets rescued in in this uh, episode. Ryan actually is the one that gets rescued, but she gets herself out of that situation from this attack and goes to try to. Uh, rescue Ryan. It's such a strong moment for her, and you know, they they have this scene after the attempted rape where she's crying. She's kind of uh, huddled in a corner. She her voice is you know wrecked because you know, she's just been strangled. She's coughing and she throws up. And I'm like, that that right there is what it feels like. I've had this experience, and you know, one out of five women have had this experience before, and it is brutal, and it is real, and I'm glad they showed it. Well, I wasn't really glad they showed it. I was a little unnerved by the whole scene because I was like, "Wow, they went there this season." I mean, yeah, they went there. They went there. Unbelievably, how hardcore they went there this season. But the other thing I got to point out is that um, somebody was watching this episode with me. Uh, sorry, somebody had was watching part of the scene with me, and they were like, "What are you watching?" I was like, "Oh, it's a show." Blah 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 blah. And I'm like, "Oh, okay." Wow, she really prepared herself for that for that rape scene. I was like, "What do you mean? She's not wearing any bra in that sh- uh, in that in that episode." And I was mm-hmm. and, and, sorry in this episode. And I was like, "How can you tell?" Oh, I was like, "I was like, oh yeah, I guess you can tell." And she's like, "She she obvi- they obviously did it rehearsal a few times." And the way he's got to be on top of her and the way she's got to be smashed on the ground sometimes that she decided to take her bra off. And I was like, because she's like, no woman in on any set with breasts that big would go braless. 
Well, that's true. And I was that's like, true. oh, you're right. Okay, it has so they to be either a costume decision scene. or the actress's yeah, decision. Yeah, they prepared for the rape scene, and she probably was just like, the bra is just too constricting for the, for the amount of movement I have to do wrestling with the other actor. So mm-hmm. she probably took it off. Because I noticed that, too. So they, they, they prepared it in, a, in, in certain ways. Because she's got yeah. really loose clothing on, too, compared to most of the other time where she's got very tight clothing on. And one thing that happens, especially when you're trying to do a scene like this on, on film, is that a bra, because you're moving your shoulders and your arms so much to try to fight it off to, to film this type of thing, a boob will eventually kind of make its way out of the bra, either from underneath the, the um, chest band or from over the top. And that won't look good on camera, so it's possibly that's the reason why just to take off the bra, take off the constrictions, and just allow it to happen. You, you don't really want to say allow it to happen when referring to a rape, but this is film we're talking about, so. I think it's funny that none of these guys, uh, 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 Ryan, Mickey, or, um, wait, Jack's not in this episode. <laughs> Ryan no, no, he's, it was mentioned that he uh, was still away, got a postcard from him, Yeah, and... Ryan even mentions in this episode, you know, we can't run to Jack every time we get into a problem. Oh, the the two characters, uh, Mickey and Ryan, no one's heard of this uh, multi-serial rapist and murderer? There, to be fair, there is a lot of them. But it seems to be in the same county they live in. I mean, he seems to be pretty yeah, big. well. He seems to be pretty big news, and it's like... She gets, you know, she doesn't seem intimidated by him when he first reaches out for her to be like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm a good guy. Let's, let's be friends. I don't get a lot of visitors here. I'm not like those other people. I don't think she really knew who he was or his reputation. Maybe. I think it's just a guy that maybe is a little sick and seemed okay, but, you know, rapist especially to try to lure in victims will... Pretend that they're good guys. Before we get to Mickey's attempted rape scene, uh, Ryan does one of the stupidest things I've seen done on the show so far, and in honor of that, I thought I'd play this clip really quick of uh, somebody playing a practical joke on someone regarding an electric fence. I guess it means the power's off. That's not funny. (laughs) That was great. That was Sam Neill's Dr. Uh, Dr. Grant playing a trick on the kids being electrocuted in Jurassic Park. Yeah, <laughs> he, he, he climbs over the electrified fence. Is that before or after the kid actually got electrocuted? That's I before, think that was after. That, that's what he's testing the fence because they, they, they got across the fence and it says high voltage electric fence, do not touch. So he has to test it. So he throws the stick against it. It doesn't do anything. So he slowly reaches out and grabs the fence and then it's like, that, and then looks over at them, and the girl's like, that wasn't funny. <laughs> the kid's like, that was great. <laughs> so Ryan okay. gets electrocuted, and you're like, what is the point that that serves at all? Because he's then released with no problem, and it's like that whole scene is pointless. It just didn't really add to anything in the episode, other than later on he uses gloves to get over the fence. But he could have just done that anyway, thinking it's electric. It just serves no purpose for him to get captured. He doesn't get captured. He gets put in the prison hospital. They check him out. He's okay. He gets let go. Done. And he uses the most effective excuse ever. I was stupid. Exactly. I was stupid. You know, I have to say, that excuse has actually gotten my partner out of a... We were kicked out of Disneyland once. (laughs) 
But he doesn't. And he say, used that excuse. What? Wait. Did your did your um did your fiance was your fiance uh running for a uh, fraternity? Because that's the excuse Ryan uses. He wasn't running for a fraternity. He was trying to get me this uh, cursed apple. Yeah, we got caught, and and he basically used the excuse, I'm stupid. I don't know why I did this. I was going to give it to her for her birthday. Uh, you know, excuses of stupidity are often looked on as just like, okay, whatever. You, you know, you're warning. Let you go. And uh, Ryan's excuse of this being a prank for a fraternity is exactly that. It's the I'm stupid, let me go excuse. Oh, okay. And they did. They fell for it. All right. Okay, that makes a little bit more sense. All right. We should also keep a track of how many episodes Jack is never in. I think there were up to three so far, right? I'd have to look through my notes, really. Yeah, we, 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 we'll, we'll get back to that. Mickey rocks around with glasses and a clipboard, and she automatically looks intelligent like a doctor would, right? She is supposed to be a journalist. Is she a journalist? Or I thought she was supposed to be like an intern or something. No, she she had disguised herself so that she would give Dr. Carter an interview as a journalist, and therefore she'd be allowed in to get a tour of the facility. Oh, okay, all right, I, that, all right, I didn't, I didn't quite get that, but it's just funny that it's just like, let's add glasses, you look intelligent that way. Hey, it's a TV trope. It's a, yeah, I mean, they do the same thing with, uh, what's her name, did you ever read the movie Alone in the Dark? Alone in the Dark. It was directed uh. by Yui Bowl. It's based on a video game. It stars Christian Slater and Tara Reid. This movie was actually in theaters, too. <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, it, it seems like I might, but I can't really say for certain that I've seen it. Yeah, it's it's bad. Um, in the, the biggest criticism of that movie is just, like, you know, how bad Tara Reid is at times, and she's supposed to be, like, this archaeologist, and she's got glasses... Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be like intelligent yeah. and stuff, and it just it doesn't work out. All right, so we have the radio that kills people, and the whole deal is that it announces on the news what actions are going to be taken, and then the person has to follow through with them in order to get the re- the reward that the radio specifies. Right. So Doctor Carter has been doing these miraculous, miraculous psychiatric healings. Uh, and then she wants to win the Nobel Prize from her work. Now, what I'm really confuddled about, and this is the same point that Dr. Finch brings up in the program, is that she won't allow people to uh, find out about her techniques. You know, Mm -hmm. what is her techniques? How is she healing people? How is this happening? Now, if she was actually going to have a Nobel Prize in her honor, she'd have to tell everyone how it's done, you know, what tactics she used in order for this to be a repeatable um, process for psychiatric uh, healing. Since she won't do that, and she can't really explain how she, you know, heals these people, that she would never have won the Nobel Prize. But again, this is the uh, the devil's pact, so... It's always going to be a lie. Uh, in this episode, we have uh, the first patient dies from that extreme snake fear. Mm-hmm. The second patient dies from jumping out a window because he had pyrophobia, the fear of fire, and he thought that his room was on fire, so he jumped out the window. And so she's taking all of Dr. Finch's patients, killing them, and then using the benefit for her patients. 
and he gets wind of it and then gets killed too. It does seem like um, they could have done other things with this radio. Um, maybe, uh, I don't know, I, I, I just, the episode itself is fine, but the antique being used the way it is doesn't, didn't sit well with me the whole time. You would have preferred it been a medical device of some sort? Probably no, not necessarily. It didn't have to be. It, it didn't have to tie into the hospital or the mental ward in any way. But there were just other ways you could have used, like an antique radio, to be uh, the the cursed object. You know. I mean, if a radio was in another episode, I would say that it would probably be, uh, I don't know, a cursed object that can talk to your passed on relatives, your loved ones. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. I don't know, um, something like that. So, I just yeah. uh, moving on. All right, so I like the fact that she feeds her boss to the psychopath. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. She she just uh, sends Doctor Finch into the um, the wild man's room, the incurable, and he just kind of just straight up murders him. It's not really shown whether he actually eats it, but you see the blood along the splashes on the window indicating that he is going to be dead fairly soon. And it it also seems uh, that the radio will change the deal depending on the circumstances. So the first time that the Nobel Prize was mentioned, the radio specified one death before 11.59 at night. 11.50 at night. And... Then later, it says three deaths before 11.59 at night. So, because she didn't make good on her end of the bargain, then, you know, the cursed object took her. Very brutal burning up. Uh, yeah. Also, could you kill somebody with a um, defibrillator pad like that? Yes. Yes. You can kill someone with a defibrillator pretty much anywhere that the current will run and cross over their heart. So him ha actually putting it on his hands, like that current will run through his hands, through his chest, and uh, across the chest to the other hand to make a full circuit. Now, if that line of electricity crosses over his heart, it's a good chance that the heart would stop. Because it is going through the, through the extremities, there's a, a longer distance that the electricity has to travel, which makes the current weaker. But it doesn't actually stop it from being potentially deadly. Uh, electricity is something you have to be very careful around when you're using it on the torso. Anything on the chest area, back area, uh, electrical current like that can disrupt the beating of the heart, the syncopation of the heart. So you have to be very careful when doing electroplay, any of that, and um, yeah, it's totally legit. He, he, you know, someone can die from a defibrillator. It's not just a life-saving device if used in the wrong hands. The radio at the very end basically just starts reporting the plot of the series. <laughs> well, you know, the radio is about to go in the vault, and it gives the one last, you know, Hail Mary pass, you know. She's talking about how difficult these objects are to get and wish it would be easier. And then the radio, you know, just on cue, goes, Hey, this just in, you know, uh, ways to get cursed objects easy, quickly, and basically doing like a sales pitch to them, like, Hey, you want to use me? You get one cursed object? Uh, you know, 
So it would be that trade-off, and of course they were never going to do with it, because then that means that they themselves would be cursed. That's just not the point of the show. Did you ever have a radio that old? Do you have a radio right now? You don't even have to say if you have a radio that old, but do you happen to have an actual radio? <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay. Question. I, I do have an actual radio. It is still in the manufacturer's packaging, because I thought I needed a radio going to the drive-in movie theater. So I oh. bought a radio. I haven't yet opened it. You I do don't. have an old Victrola case, which is the uh, record player, recorder player um, from, you know, the early 1900s. But I only use it like a, you know, a, a storage cabinet, really. Radios are kind of just old technology. Yeah. Do you have radio? I, yeah, I have a radio. And I did buy one um, for uh, work back in 2003, long before we had, like, iPods and, and stuff like that. I think the MP3 device had just came out. But I use my radio on my phone to listen to certain radio shows on, um, you know, certain DJs I like listening to that are pretty funny on the, you know, the midday stuff. And then, of course, in the, you know, early morning stuff. Um, and if I happen to not be near my car, if I'm in the car or in, like, a car at the, uh, the company car, then I'll listen to it. Uh, and then, of course, I do a radio show. Yay, radio reporter! Speaking <laughs> 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 of radio... Uh, I happen to do a radio show. <laughs> and in fact, we are recording at a radio station in Worcester, Massachusetts, where I do Radio of Horror at midnight. So the perfect time where I'd be spelling out information about like the death of people and things like that. So I, I have a bit connection to this episode, but not that much, as this episode has nothing to do with a radio station. It has to do with the radio itself more than being on the radio. So yeah. there's the big difference. So that's pretty much it. Uh, how many people died in this episode? A uh, total of four. Four, okay. Do you know what we're up to in, in terms of how many people have been dead so far? Oh, no. Okay. I totally we'll, forgot we'll, to we'll, do we'll, a At count. the very end, we will go through uh, every single uh, piece of information we can probably find. There's a great website that has chronicled uh, basically how many people died per episode. So then we'll just take out the calculator and just start adding up the numbers every single yep. episode for 72 episodes to see how many people have died. So we're going to take a quick break and we will play the promo for the next episode of the Dead TV Podcast's coverage of Friday the 13th, which hails I live, heads you die. To invoke Satan's will. It's a conspiracy of evil on Friday the 13th. He is the first of three who will return from their graves. One person dies, another comes back to life. The method, a coin that buys power for the devil. Tales you live, hence you die. Try your luck on an all-new episode of Friday the 13th, the series. Next week, it's a toss-up for terror. So this episode has to do with more with Satan than any other episode we've ever covered uh, on the Friday the 13th show. Yes. Yes. And in uh, fact, isn't it funny that also on Constantine, he never fought Satan on that show, right? No, not at all. He he just fought demons and uh, entities, golems. But I, I am correct that in the Constantine Hellblazer comic book, Lucifer was a, was a character, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Actually... And in fact, and, and, and hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Like, I had one more piece to add to this before you, before you uh, answered my question. The character Lucifer that Constantine would fight, is that not the same Lucifer that would have been created by Neil Gaiman 
and appeared in the Sandman comic book series that now currently has a television series that was canceled but picked up by Netflix. Different. The Constantine episode, uh, the Constantine issues, at least in the beginning portion of the series, because I I didn't actually make it through all of Constantine. I, I got a good halfway through the comic book series before we stopped the show. Okay. Uh, Lucifer, he basically is portrayed differently, and Constantine pulls kind of sleight of hand tricks in front of him a lot. You know, to the point that. Uh, that he as actually hates Constantine with such a passion because he got himself into a situation that he cannot take Constantine's soul because of the other competition between the other the, the triad of uh, Dark Lords. So uh, because of this, it, Constantine and, and, and Satan have, you know, many quarrels between themselves. So that is completely different. This episode has... Uh, the, I would say the stamp of approval of the uh, Satan uh, black mass cursing parents of the 80s generation that had swore up and down that these black masses were just happening everywhere and the satanic panic just like everywhere was on the nightly news like even though there was nothing there. Okay. Now, this episode is a lot like that. There is one person in particular I know who will never meet Satan ever. The one person who will never ever meet Lucifer or Satan, and hopefully he is up there with the other greats of uh, the comic book industry. He will be meeting God and 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 uh, and uh, who, who, what's the name of the guy who meets you at the gates of uh, heaven? Saint Peter's. Uh, Saint Peter. Saint Peter. Okay, all right, all right. So the one guy who will never meet Lucifer, Satan, any sorts of damnation. He will be uh, embraced by God and Saint Peter's and all the other great comic book legends that have come before him. Is artist Steve Ditko. Uh, the reason I bring this up is because Steve Ditko passed away. The day before we're recording this, July 7th, 2018. Uh, apparently, at least, sorry, he had passed away a couple days prior, but it was announced yesterday. Steve Ditko is most famous for creating The Amazing Spider-Man with Stanley. Yes. He was the yes. artist who drew Amazing Fantasy number 15 through Amazing Spider-Man number 1 through Spider-Man number 37, 38, 37. Um, and he also created Doctor Strange, The Question, The Blue Beetle, uh, Squirrel Girl. I had no idea he was actually the artist who created Squirrel Girl, um, and as popular as she is. I th- also I, uh, the Blue Beetle and Captain Adam too. Yeah, well, he played. He basically had a big hand in the Charlton comic characters. The Charlton comics were the inspiration for the Watchmen. Uh, Alan Moore wanted to use the Charlton characters in his Watchmen story. They would have featured the the Charlton heroes, the Blue Beetle, the Question, Captain Adam, but. DC had bought the Charlton Wright's characters and were going to incorporate them into the DC universe after the Crisis on Infinite Earths. So Alan Moore had to create brand new characters. So that's why, like, the comedian, um, Dr. Manhattan, Ozymandias, Night Owl, they all have very, they're all very similar to uh, the Charlton heroes. But Spider Man and Doctor Strange are probably his two most prolific creations that he'd ever drawn. And Doctor Strange, of course, was played recently by Benedict Cumberbatch. 
and only ever been played by one other actor, uh, Peter Hooten. Spider-Man's been played by six different actors over time. Uh, David White in the old 1970s show, various animated series, and then we had uh, Tobey Maguire, uh, Andrew Garfield, and now currently being played by... Who's that young kid? Oh my god, it's the it's this guy, he, named, he shares the same name as the director of Fright Night. Oh my god. Like, fr- that's gonna help me. <laughs> I just need to look up his IMDb. Oh, freaking Christ, I'm just badly prepared for anything. <sighs> Tom Holland. Yes, Tom Holland. Tom Holland. Sorry, and I, I said uh, David White. Nicholas Hammond, excuse me, Nicholas Hammond played Spider-Man in the Spider-Man TV series in the 70s. And Steve Ditko actually also read, um, won the Jack Kirby Hall of Fame in 1990 and the Will Eisner Award Hall of Fame in 1994 for his works. Yeah, um, and the outpour of respect and admiration for Steve Ditko was immediately followed upon the announcement of his death. So many people. Uh, Neil Gaiman uh, had a great uh, tweet about him. Um, obviously, the actors who have played Spider-Man all had something to say. Benedict Cumberbatch had something to say because he's currently playing Doctor Strange right now. He was Doctor Strange in Thor Ragnarok, Doctor Strange, and Avengers mm-hmm. Infinity War, and will be back for Avengers Infinity War 2 when he's brought back to life. That's also kind of funny that both of his biggest creations were killed in the Avengers Infinity War movie. <laughs> oh, they'll be back. They'll be back. But it is funny that both his creations were killed in that movie. <laughs> um, and, and, and don't uh, forget how also, many members of the Guardians and, of the Galaxy got killed as well. <laughs> but Steve Dickel didn't create those guys. That's true. Don't uh, also the the wealth of character supporting cast characters and villains for these characters. Um, sticking to just Spider-Man and Doctor Strange, Spider-Man's entire rogue gallery that we know and love, with the exception of like Venom and Carnage and and the Black Cat and 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 uh, Morbius, uh, uh, Hobgoblin, you know, which are the big five that I can think of off the top of my head. The Chameleon, the Vulture, Doctor Octopus, the Sandman, Electro, Mysterio, Craven the Hunter, the Green Goblin, the Big Man, the you know what I mean. The these were all created by Steve Ditko with Stan Lee. Yeah. So it's I mean, Aunt May. Collection. Yeah, Aunt May, Uncle Ben, Mary Jane, J. Jonah Jameson, Betty Brant. You know what I mean? All those characters that his his his, his supporting cast, as you will. Flash Thompson, who just recently mm-hmm. was killed off in uh, Amazing Spider-Man number eight hundred. He, uh, you know, Steve Ditko had this uh, this 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 the way he drew was really fantastic, and it was never more seen so than his fantasy and horror work, which he did a lot of monster comics and science fiction comic books in the 50s and early 60s, like a lot of artists did, because comic book, uh, 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 comic book hero uh, superheroes were not that popular until uh, the Fantastic Four came along in the Justice League, which revitalized the industry. Mm-hmm. But his, uh, you look at his Doctor Strange stuff, and Jesus Christ, you wonder where all the imagery in that movie came from? It came from Steve Ditko's artwork. Speaking of Stan Lee, by the way, if you go see Ant-Man and the Wasp this weekend, he has a great cameo in it where his car gets shrunk down. And he's like, wow, all those drugs in the 60s finally led up to this. Because <laughs> his yeah, car, his car completely disappeared. to do today, and then I realized, oh, we're filming. <laughs> and, of course, uh, there is a... Um, I'm not going to say what the spoiler is or the mid credit scene is, but it ties heavily into the Infinity War. Take, All right. Yeah. So I get, I get that sense that I'm just going to have to watch these movies, if nothing else, to make sure that I have all the information available for when the Infinity Wars comes back on. Infinity War Part Two. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, we salute Steve Ditko, and the reason why I mention it is because again, he's somebody who will never meet Satan. He will be up there with the other great comic book legends like Jack Kirby, Jerry Seigel, yep. and Joe Suster, uh, Bill Finger, 
Um, not Bob Kane, because I hope Bob Kane went to hell. If you, if you have any questions about why I say that, go watch Batman and Bill, and you'll understand why. Um, May he rest in peace. He he will be missed. So yeah, Stephen Coe will will be missed. He was ninety years old, no wife, no kids, no 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 uh, living relatives. Found his by children a... was his art. What? His children was his art. Yeah, he had no known living relatives either, and when he was he was still working and drawing up until his death. Apparently, like a friend, uh, a known comic book artist. Uh, who lives in New York became really good friends with him and would check up on him once in a while and they'd go out to dinner and he um, what's funny is that the guy who's currently working on I can't remember the name of the comic book but the artist who's currently working on uh, a comic book based on one of Steve Ditko's creations sent Steve Ditko a copy of the comic book and a letter and Steve wrote back that he hated it <laughs> what? No. Yeah. Really? But, but he posted the letter online after hearing Steve's death saying, "I will always be I will always fondly remember the the character Steve Ditko gave us, but I have to post this letter now that he is passed on about how he felt about modern day comics, but he didn't cite me in the letter as saying putting me down. He just really dislikes modern day comic books. He thinks they're too violent. He thinks they're too, you know, just out there. He just, he doesn't like, he has not read modern day comics in such a very long time. Oh, well. The last modern day comic book Steve Ditko worked on, I believe, was a backup feature in the Amazing Spider-Man, Spectacular Spider-Man, Web of Spider-Man annuals involving Captain Universe. Captain Universe was an enigma, this thing called the Enigma Force that anyone can possess. In a time of great need, the Captain Universe Enigma Force will find you. The Enigma Force will find you and turn you into Captain Universe to uh, use you to help prevent a great disaster of apocalyptic proportions. Um, and it's funny is that one time it actually found Spider-Man, and and uh, but during an experiment he only got part of the powers, so he didn't quite understand what was going on until the last part of the Cosmic Spidey storyline, where he was finally imbued with all of the Cosmic Universe powers. So basically he was like a god and was able to stop this thing called the Tri Sentinel, which was a triple sentinel robot sent by Loki, the god of war, the god of mischief, mm-hmm. excuse me, Thor's brother, to destroy a nuclear power plant and cause a nuclear meltdown in the United States. Wow. And the reason why Loki did that is because the Acts of Vengeance had basically gone the way, not the way he wanted to. Acts of Vengeance was a story where the uh, Loki, uh, the Red Skull, the Kingpin, the Mandarin, Dr. Octopus, Dr. Doom all got together and said, we keep getting defeated by our heroes. Why don't we switch heroes? Mandarin, you go fight Wolverine. And uh, Magneto, you go fight Spider-Man. And I'll go fight, uh, you know, Captain America or something. And Doctor mm-hmm. Doom, you go fight, uh, you know, uh, the the Power Man, like Luke Cage or something, you know? Hmm. So. Anyway. Huh. Anyway. Yeah. Really deviating from the episode. But the episode's about Satan. I just want to bring up that, you know, the, the, the thing about Steve Ditko, so. Yeah, and, and this episode, because it is uh, displaying a black mass, I did a little bit of, uh, you know, trying to listen closely to the episode to see if this was the episode that uh, Jim Henshaw says that the, they're actually saying uh, the song Teddy Bear's Picnic, but in Latin. Unfortunately, my copy, I just could not hear the words clear enough for me to get in... Uh, the sentences together to, to decipher what they're saying, but I don't really believe that there is another black mass in the series. So they could be talking about the teddy bear picnic. 
Yeah, I, I I couldn't find it either. The only thing I could find was this song, which everyone is pretty darn familiar with. Generals gathered in their masses. War Pigs by Black Sabbath. Yep. Okay. Love the song. Yes, yes. So this episode was so off the radar, so out of control with the Satan worshipping that I don't think we ever have had or will have another episode quite like it involving Lucifer nearly as much because the devil doesn't appear to, um, uh, you know, the Uncle Lewis in the very first episode so much as like he's a present. Also, in this episode, you hear the devil's voice, but I couldn't really make out what he was saying. Could you? Not really. They have the sound turned down a little bit in this episode. Every time they're in that cavernous, uh, under the taxidermy store, um, uh, worship space, it had this echoey sound to it that reverberated, and I just couldn't make out, you know, what they were saying. This is also, I think, the first episode we have where one of our cast of characters dies. Oh my god, yes. You know, after watching her with that brutal rape, you know, attempt, and then her actually dying, and you think, okay, well, you know, the magic of the coin, you flip the coin, it goes in front of the person, and then the coin is branded on their forehead, and they're, they're dead. Sure. I get it. Then it happens to Mickey, and you're like, what the hell? Like, she's a main character, she can't die. Mm. And, uh, yeah, so the, this like the next scene you're thinking okay well she was just stunned you know if you're pure of heart or something like some some little TV trope will save her nothing and it made me wonder at the end of the episode because the, we had already seen two people brought back from the dead you know the, the one that was dead eight months and one that was dead a century Mickey was dead and these people are dead and now walking around. I don't think it healed them. It just made them mobile and made them able to talk and, and communicate and all that. So is Mickey technically dead? Um, it seems that way, and they did do the little switcheroo in order to bring him back, which we'll get to. Um, once yeah, so she to... would be dead from this point on. It's just her body is mo- is mobile. Uh, one thing I wanted to point out is the episode was directed by Mark Sobel, who is, again, one of those uh, television, long-time television uh, directors of TV and movies. Hasn't done anything since 2003, but worked a lot in the uh, syndicated television genre, having directed episodes of War of the Worlds, uh, The Commish, uh, Dark Shadows, the revival show of Dark Shadows in 1990, uh, Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman, and Sliders, among others. And then the episode had two writers, which is kind of strange. They usually only seem to get like one writer. Marilyn Anderson and Billy Ripback. Uh, Ryback? Ryback. 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 Best known for producing the entire television series of Home Improvement with Tim Allen. Oh. And, I, uh, w- I used to watch that show. Uh, yeah, a lot of people did. In fact, Tim Allen's uh, show Last Man Standing is returning uh, and going to be on the Fox Network. Mm. It was canceled due to his very kind of pro-Trump attitude. Yeah. Yeah. If you ever watched the show from the beginning, he was always very pro-Republican and very anti-Democrat. Oh, completely. Show. Completely. But it, he's always been like, like yeah, that. Yeah, he's always been that way. But like, apparently there was just one or two things. He didn't say anything like racist or anything. He's just 
it, it, I'm not going to get into a big thing about it, but you can go look up the reasons why Last Man Standing was canceled and why it's coming back to to, to explain that. Let's just move on from that. Yeah. But uh, yeah. the other one, uh, the other person, uh, Marilyn Anderson, uh, wrote uh, three episodes of Friday the Thirteenth the series, and uh, kind of really that's it. Uh, produced How to Live Like a Millionaire When You're a Millionaire Short When You're a Million Short. <laughs> I don't know what that show was, <laughs> but it was on last year, so. <laughs> All right. Um, who plays our well, lead cultist in this episode? The the main cultist, I think his name is uh, oh, what is his name? What's the actor's name? That's the the character's name is Tyrell. The main bad guy, the main cultist, his name is Tyrell, character name, and his real name is Jonathan Hartman. And he has a filmography. Uh, the Blacklist, Apocalypse, The Apocalypse Watch, Open Season, Taking the Heat, Forever Night. He was on one episode. Not a, not a lot on his credit, actually. So basically, we have a coin that shoots a light into your forehead and kills you. Um, I mean, why does the coin have to do something? Why couldn't you just like you you flip the coin, tails you live, heads you die? That's it. You just die. Why does it have to be, like, something shooting out of the object in order to kill you? This is, like, more than one episode where we've had the MacGuffin have to have some type of projection in order to kill the person. And they, can't, they just can't drop dead of a heart attack like if you wrote their name in a, in a death note. In a death note, if you didn't write down how they die, the person would just die of a heart attack. Yeah, I don't know. It, it might just be uh, it's a bit showy makes it a little bit more special than flip a coin and, oh, I see, heads, you're dead, you know. Mr. Zeneca is going to uh, uh, fight tooth and nail and, and sleepless hours trying to reach Frank Mancusa Jr. to have him on the show in order for us to ask him these tough questions. <laughs> Maybe I can use my uh, charm your to get him wiles. on the show. Your, your feminine wiles. I love that, by the way, I love that micro camera that the, um... Oh, yeah, that the journalist is actually uh, taking pictures of the gravediggers, that little tiny micro camera. It's funny when Mickey and Jack go to investigate what's going on, they look like they've discovered the Temple of Doom in Kali from, you know, Raiders Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Well, they decorate it with torches. Like, honestly, that's such an ineffective lighting method. As for great ambiance... I'll I'll give it that, but having burning torches at, on the basement level of your establishment probably not the wisest idea. No, 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 definitely not. But uh, I did I did enjoy uh, uh, the set dressing. I thought was pretty good in this episode. It was nice. Like it definitely portrayed that this was a ceremonial center. Uh, I tried looking up all of the symbology that they used. Most of it was uh, astrological or planetary signs, nothing real, uh, nothing really real, I should say. <laughs> nothing really real in this episode. The name Tyrell for the character is actually a character name uh, from, uh, from a William Blake poem. The one, so. the one thing I don't quite understand is that in our previous uh, podcast, uh, we had a guest on the show who said that the show was trying to be more supernaturalish. Now, with the voodoo episode and now the Satan worshipping episode, we do get more of the supernatural, but it definitely feels like we have had more horror in these four episodes of the second season than, than we did in the first season. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. There like, so they, they went ham horror. on this. They I, went... I would not have... If I had seen all these episodes, all four that we've done, back to back to back, this is an intense kind of horror experience, especially for, for Mickey. It's just uh, incredibly intense and nothing that they would have done in the first season. Okay, give us a little bit about... And, and just... I mean, just mean a little bit because we're crunching for time now. About mm-hmm. the... The witch lord or what is she called okay what they're what they're talking about in the show uh it's mentioned that the mistress of the devil yeah that's what it is, is. yeah the mistress of the devil queen of, of uh, Wait, queen the, of satan aren't you the mistress of the devil <laughs> no 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 okay i'm mistress zeneca oh I'm mistress okay I, I get the two so confused i mean i'm sure your fiance would agree with me sometimes i just <laughs> oh he does good uh <laughs> Um, I appreciate his taste because he picked me. Uh, so, uh, where was I? Okay, so the Queen of Salem. They call her the Queen of Salem, uh, Devil's Mistress, that type of thing. What they're really referring to, I believe, is a combination of Salem, Massachusetts, and their history and the Salem Witch Trials. There was one person in particular that they might be referring to, and it's the person by the name of Martha Carrier. Martha Carrier was reputed to have 300 people under her charge and this whole black Satanist sect and whatnot. She denies it fervently, and I don't believe it actually happened. Uh, But she was accused of such, and uh, I believe she was killed for doing so. But they, they gave her the dubious name of Queen of Hell. So I think that's where they're getting the, the name. But in... Salem, Massachusetts right now there is an official witch of Salem. Her name is Lori Cabot. She's uh, in advanced age right now. She's 85. She used to have a wonderful little occult shop in Salem, Massachusetts. No longer there. Uh, But she is one of my personal uh, Wiccan uh, idols, I guess you'd call it. Uh, She's the official witch of Salem and her book, The Power of the Witch, transformed my young adolescent life into being this wishy person that you see before you. So that's why I think they actually got all of that in for this episode. Um, it kind of reminds me a little bit of the Lords of Salem in a way, the way they were describing it. Lords of Salem, how so? Uh, you really need to go watch the movie. Um, they have a whole kind of like uh, black mass occult uh, witch goddess kind of storyline going on in there that I can't even explain. You need to watch the movie. Okay. All right. Yeah, All right. let's just leave it at that. Um, so Mickey dies, and then uh, sh- they uh, Ryan is all like distraught and like I'm gonna leave this. We're not gonna. Do- I can't do this anymore without Mickey. But they knew the whole time because we find out at the end of the episode they basically switched the body to resurrect Mickey. Yes. Yeah. So instead of them using the coin to bring her back to life, they had him do it because they didn't have the coin. There's a little switcheroo, and so the the sculpture artwork that you see in the beginning of the episode is kind of brought back so that he sculpted this clay mask to fool the guy into believing it was his corpse that he wanted to bring back. Yeah, a lot of juicy corpses in this episode, really. A little bit. Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. Um, the mummy uh with all the worms and all the this you know the really disgusting looking uh it, it, that, yes. that, I thought that was pretty cool. 
It, it was cool. Uh, the, the the first body was more realistic because it had beetles. Um, although if you got this from a museum, they definitely wouldn't have insects on it. Definitely not. Uh, but the second body had mealworms and superworms, and those are just fishing lure worms. You feed them to reptiles. They don't really feed on necrophilic fit, uh, flesh. Now, uh, jumping to the very end of the episode, this is the second object they were not able to recover, correct? Because they don't have the compact. The compact, the, yeah. The, the compact. So the compact and the coin uh, of, of Satan, or what, what was the coin called? Uh, the coin of Diocles. Diocles. Or Ziocles. Ziocles. They call it Ziocles, but I think they were doing a parody of the word Diocles. Okay, so the coin of Ziocles and the compact are the two objects so far they have not recovered. This is not counting the fact that the show was canceled and we don't know what else they haven't recovered. We're we're just just talking about the three seasons that we have. Because we actually don't have an itinerary of everything that was sold. All we have is an itinerary, and you can go through the episodes or use uh, Elise Wax's book to go through and figure out all the different objects. Mm-hmm. We don't have a complete list of everything that Uncle Lewis sold in the first episode, and we never no, will. Because and the show even was when can- you look at the, because the uh, show was records... And, and also because the show was canceled, and the fact that, that Jack is constantly going out there in episodes he's not in and recovering stuff, or they're bringing stuff back, you know what I mean, from, from mailers that they don't have plot entire episodes surrounding. Yeah, yeah. Um, you can look at the manifest in various episodes and see things above and below the entry that you're looking at, and there's no mention of those objects anywhere in the series yeah. at all. It's like the 13 Ghosts of Scooby-Doo animated series, which I would love to cover one day. Um, I love I mean, that series. Yeah, starring Vincent, the late, great Vincent Price. The Vincent Price. Um in that they uh there I I I I I counted myself and then I read online that they only recaptured eleven of the ghosts from the chest of demons, but technically only ten because then one of them re-escaped. Uh-huh. And then the show was you know not it wasn't so much canceled they just didn't do another season and they kind of they went on to another Scooby Doo cartoon because Scooby Doo after the pup named Scooby-Doo was the only time it was ever officially, like, ended, and then there was a giant hiatus with no new Scooby-Doo material for almost eight to nine years. Nowadays, we have a new Scooby-Doo cartoon on DVD every single year, the last one being Scooby-Doo the Brave and the Bold, where he teams up with Batman. There's been so many Scooby-Doos, man, it's hard to keep track. Yeah, but we always have the great Matthew Lillard playing Scooby-Doo like he did recently on Scooby Natural, where Sam and Dean Winchester team up with Scooby and the gang. You know, that wrecked his voice so much, trying to strain his voice like Shaggy. I didn't think he'd ever do that character again. No, he does it constantly. I mean, that is his bread and butter nowadays. He is a... he. I mean, you look at his IMDb, and it's like a few films here and there, maybe, but it's mostly Shaggy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he has been playing Shaggy. He took over from Casey Kasem as the voice of Shaggy. And with the exception of, like, one or two cartoons, he has been Shaggy ever since. So, cha-ching, 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 cha-ching. How many people yeah, die in this yeah, episode? Yeah, it, it's... Whoa, Scoob. Yeah. <laughs> How many people die in this episode, not counting Mickey, because she comes back to life? Uh, not counting Mickey, there is a total of... Two people. Okay. And, uh, well, I have a handful of coins in my pocket. I don't, I don't know. Oh. Hold on. 
You have all those motorcycles behind you. Hello? You have motorcycles behind you. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, okay. So, do you have any magical coins or gold coins of any sort? No, I don't. Own, I don't even own any gold coins, but I do have some coins in my in my pocket. <laughs> yeah, I don't have any gold coins either. I've got a nice silver dollar, but <laughs> ooh, <laughs> no gold. Well, if you ever get your face scarred up, you can scratch one side and become the female Two Face. Ah, uh, no, no, no. Okay. All right. Well, that's pretty much it for the Dead TV podcast. Um, we will be back next week and then be taking a break at the end of the month because we're only doing this episode, this podcast uh, three times out of the four weeks of the month. If there happen to be five Fridays in the month, then we will start the podcast again the first Friday of the following month. So uh, that way we can hit a Friday the 13th whenever they happen. However, when I've looked at the calendar... We will not have another Friday the 13th after today. When this episode is posted online, the day we're recording it is the 8th. But the day you're listening to it is Friday the 13th, so happy the Friday the 13th. Um, go see Friday the 13th movies. I know my local drive-in is showing Friday the 13th Part 1 and 2. The Friday the 13th video game is still being available to play. Uh, do yourself a favor. Go to WompStompFilms.com or Womp Stomp Films on Facebook to find out more information about the Friday the 13th lawsuit currently happening right now as Womp Stomp Films put out an amazing horror movie that you can watch for free on their website or watch for free on their on their YouTube channel called Never Hike Alone. It is an amazing Friday the 13th fan film. Highly recommend it. Mr. Zeneca, I hope you'll watch it on Friday the 13th. I will try. <laughs> it's about 45 minutes long. It's really, really good. It's a really cool Friday the 13th fan film. I had the director on my show. But they um, they got into a bit of a thing with a YouTuber who had been posting um, some misinformation uh, pulled from Reddit about uh, Womp Stomp Films and the Friday the 13th video game. So if you've heard anything about Womp Stomp Films, Never Hike Alone, and the Friday the 13th video game, and you were hearing some things that didn't make a lot of sense or maybe sounded um, like... Uh, very misleading, go to Wompstop Films' uh, Facebook page to look up some information about uh, the correction of that misinformation. That's all I'm going to say about it. Um, but, uh... So the next Friday the 13th we'll have, is that the one in September 2019? So we won't be covering Friday the 13th then. We will be, have been finished with Friday the 13th, the TV series, in January for us to start Witchblade. By the time okay. the next Friday the 13th comes around, we will be in the middle of another show. I'm not saying what the show is yet because we're still kind of debating about it right now. But in September of 2019 is the next Friday the 13th. So after today, that's it. No more for a, quite a long time. Just the way the calendar is structured, that's all. Well, again, thank you, Mr. Zeneca. And thank you, Dr. Chris. You can Until next week. You can check us out on the Dead TV Podcast Facebook page. You can also look us up on uh, Twitter at Elegantly Kinky and Radio of Horror uh, at Chris D S A V. And if you, again, if you'd like to make a donation to the Dead TV Podcast, go to our Patreon page. Or if you're a business and you'd like to sponsor uh, the Radio of Horror Network, you can contact contact us at thatradiohorror at gmail.com. Thank you, everybody, and have a good night.